the City Quick Connect podcast is brought to you by the Municipal Association of South Carolina. Hey everybody, it's Casey Fields, your manager for municipal advocacy at the Municipal Association of South Carolina. Welcome to another episode, might I add a very exciting episode, of the City Quick Connect podcast, Legislative Edition. I've got my people with me, I've got my my rider dies, my A1 from day one, my team, just my my people, my family. I've got Joni, Erica, and Scott with me. Well, technically Scott's the boss, but whatever. you're really selling this as exciting. I'm I'm I, I don't want you to oversell it. You feel like okay. I'm setting us up to fail. Yeah, don't every oversell episode it. that we do is exciting. Undersell and over deliver. Um, So everybody, today we are going to talk about the 2022 legislative session. It is upon us quicker than we would really like to um, think. On January 11th, Tuesday, January 11th, the House and Senate in South Carolina will reconvene for the 2022 legislative session. This is the second half of the 2021-22 legislative session, the second year. That means that any bills that were introduced last year um, and were referred to a committee or are in the committee process or even on the calendar are still in play. They still have the ability to pass, to die, to get recommitted, um, to get tabled, to anything that um, happens to bills that we see, they are still up for grabs. There have been more bills introduced the last couple of weeks when the legislature has been in session for other issues, and then we've got bills that have been carried over from last year. So I want to get right to it. My expert panel, I've got so many names for y'all, it's just great. (laughs) Erica, you want to start and talk about 3050, the House Mm -hmm. Law Enforcement Reform Bill that passed the House, amended, passed the House, and is in the Senate Judiciary. It is. Thank you, Casey. Yeah, so happy to be here. Glad to have you. Uh, 3050, as you said, it did pass the House. And just to remind everybody how we got there after the unrest that we saw in 2020, Speaker Jay Lucas assembled a committee, a House Equitable Justice and Law Enforcement Reform Committee that broke out into four subcommittees. One of those subcommittees was set to explore tactics and police training. And we saw the PACT Act come from that subcommittee led by Representative Chris Wooten. That PACT Act was Police and Communities Together Act. And Chris is from Lexington, Lexington. right? Lexington. Lexington. That's right. Okay. And he actually spoke about the PACT Act at our H-Law, our hometown legislative action week. And so we knew that we would see law enforcement reform pass the House or taken up in the House. Right. More than 50 bills were introduced. And so we saw the PACT Act take shape, but it had a very high fiscal impact. Mm -hmm. There was some information in there about minimum salaries for law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the speaker asked that all uh, items that had that high fiscal impact be removed okay. and attached to something that was moving. Right. Well, lo and behold, there was a bill 3050 mm-hmm. introduced by Representative Steve Moss. Okay. And what that intended to do was forbid law enforcement officers from operating in the line of duty unless they were uh, partnered with a licensed law okay. enforcement so officer. So an uncertified or a uncertified. trainee, I guess, yes. has to be with. Okay. That's right. 
And so we saw that Bill 3050 amended to include many proponents or many elements of the PACT Act. And so now we have 3050 that has passed the House and is now in, as you said, Senate Judiciary. Here's the thing, though, before we talk about what's in there. The Senate introduced the South Carolina Leads Act, right. which is the Law Enforcement Accountability Duties and Standards Act. And they're pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. The South Carolina Leads Act is almost exactly identical to the 3050, what we're mm -hmm. seeing in the House. So we do think we're going to see some movement on that. And the big issue or the underlying factor with 3050 is that it allows the law enforcement training council to promulgate minimum standards across the board okay. that all law enforcement agencies would have to follow. Mm -hmm. Not following those uh, standards could lead to fines, heavy fines. Okay. So we're, we're watching those... And and decertification of officers. That's right, of, officers. The, of your police department. Yeah, and that we were we saw that bill headed towards kind of dissolving law enforcement agencies altogether. Oh, wow. And now we see that the, the the latest amendment allows for law enforcement officers to lose their certifications if they're not following these minimum standards mm -hmm. around uh, no knock warrants police vehicle pursuits. Mm -hmm. And so we're watching that right now as it stands. We are in support. We have been working with the law enforcement. Let's see. Help me out here, Scott. Jared's group. Sheriff's Association, the police, police chief's association. The police mm -hmm. chief's association. So we're yep. in support. Uh, Representative Wooten, when this bill passed, kind of gave us a thumbs up in the House. And so we are watching it. Hopefully it doesn't change too much, but we'll, mm -hmm. we'll keep our eyes and ears open for any changes and we'll keep our members apprised to how this unfolds in the Senate. And yeah, we've got some details in previous issues of From the Dome to Your Home. So yes. if anybody wanted to search it on our website, you could. Yeah, this is a really important piece of legislation for our state because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize that uh, once you, you can hire somebody as a police officer, all they have to do is get, uh, is qualify with a firearm mm -hmm. within 48 hours of their, their yeah. hiring. Yeah. And under South Carolina current law, they can go out and start patrolling. Policing. They can. They're, they're a police officer uh, with no with no training uh, beyond that qualification. It's it's really it's really kind of scary if you think about it, particularly from a liability standpoint. Yeah. And and with our risk management services, we've had a lot of really large claims uh, over the years. Not a lot, but a number of very really large claims over the years and much of it was because of the lack of training and uh and standard operating procedures uh were missing in those in those departments so the minimum standards that the law enforcement training council is going to promulgate you would not have to follow those if you're already certified with by CALEA or That's South right. Carolina if you are an accredited yeah. agency yeah you would be presumed to already be in compliance with right. these minimum standards and you'll be okay. And that's actually, thanks, Scott, something else that this legislation does is it sets up a compliance division that will review the policies of every agency every three years to ensure that these agencies are following these minimum standards. And as Scott said, if these agencies are accredited, they will be presumed to be following or be in line with the minimum standards. Yeah, and I think it's important that our all of our police agencies actually follow these mm -hmm. guidelines and in, in, in practice, yeah. I mean, we've, there have been occasions where we as an association have helped departments, smaller departments in particular, 
find some operating procedures uh, or we've reviewed their operating procedures and they just simply copied and pasted from another agency, which is, you know, it's better than nothing, but yeah. then are you actually following those? That's and true. so my expectation and hope would be that the regulations that the or the procedures the that the law enforcement training council will put out will be adequate but also easy enough for even the smallest departments to follow and if even if and if they can't then you know it's council members and mayors across the state need to really think about whether or not they should find an alternative mm-hmm. to having their own police department partnering with other agencies, the sheriff or a near, another city or town nearby. So um, the work Erica has done on this in conjunction with our law enforcement partners has been great. So I hope that gets passed. I hope so too. I'm curious to know if Senate Judiciary will take the the House bill and their own bill, the LEADS, right? The LEADS Act. The yeah. LEADS Act. I'm, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with that, to see if they're going to kind of piece it together you know, kind of amend 3050 with that. It's possible. Since it's already, you know, passed the House. I'm, I'm curious to see what, what kind of work they do on that. We did a side-by-side comparison mm-hmm. when 3050 passed. So what's in the lead Act? What's right. in 3050? And they're similar. Well, they're the same, but 3050 does a lot more. Right. It goes further. It goes further. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious to see, like you said, yeah. what the Senate yeah. does with that part of right. it. So right. we'll be watching It'll that. Be interesting to see. Well, you bring up a good point, Casey. Uh, the question is, how much work is the General Assembly going to be able to get done on these kinds of issues in right. light of all the other things that will be in front of them right. coming Jenny, up? Talk, talk a second about what money-wise, yeah. what they're going to be, what we've got going on. Thanks, Casey. And I'm also happy to be here. I am going to go back before I talk about that first. Right. And um, Casey mentioned to you guys that this is the second year of a two-year session. And we always talk about crossover date. This has never been more important. This is the year, if there, the new legislation that Casey mentioned, the 50 pieces of legislation that was pre-filed, if you don't have it in by April 10th, good luck to you because it's not going to happen. Um, again, this year, if you didn't have it in by crossover, it still got to sit in committee. It still got to do, you know, go through the process, um, but not the full process. Next year, if it doesn't pass over, I mean, it requires a two-thirds vote in the House. And is it majority in the Senate or two-thirds yeah, in the two Senate? two-thirds. So you, if they've crossover date is a big deal in the second year. Exactly yeah. right, Joni, because if it doesn't cross over, it's dead. And it will have to be reintroduced completely as a new bill. That's when really pre-filing is is huge at yeah. the beginning of a two-year session because they pre-file everything. I happen to think that's a poor strategy. We'll talk about that at another time. Mm. Yeah, Joni, why Scott mentioned that they're not going to have a lot of time because they're dealing with what kind of? I mean, we got like we got I money, mean, money, Casey, money, money. This is like the year of the money. Um, the BEA just released the report at the end of November. We are looking at more than $897 million in new recovering, recurring dollars. $897 million in new recurring dollars. And we're looking at more than $2.1 billion, with a B, in non-recurring dollars. And this is not Jeez. the ARP money. This is this is just regular old this state is budget. Just regular old state money. So this is going to be the year of well, hello, I've got a project. My name is represented so and so. I've got things I need to have done. Right. 
But uh, I, I thought the economy was in the toilet. I mean, come on. I mean, doesn't sound on, like it to me. Not here, based baby. On this, not, not here. Not yeah. Here. And, and this is great news for us. Um, so our local government fund, per the statute, is um, it goes up and down based on the general fund, not to go more than five percent either way. So if the general fund's going up, which it looks like it's going up this right, year, right. So local government fund's going to follow suit. Now, I do wish that it was it can't go less than five less than five percent, but we can go up as high as we want. Um, too bad we can't. But the local government fund is looking to go up a lot this year. I mean, we got seventeen point nine million dollars this year, so next year's looking good for us. Um, but Casey and Erica has both mentioned this year is just going to be a crazy year as far as the new dollars, the law enforcement reform legislation. And we and Casey, I know you're going to touch on this later, but we have primaries coming up in the House. That's exactly right. So, and, you know, Jenny, we talked about this before, the ARP money coming to the state. That money that you just mentioned is not ARP. No. The ARP pot is a completely different yeah. The state ARP money, mm-hmm. right, is 2. a completely 5. different $2.5 billion. billion with a B. Um, that's a different pot of money. Um, the fact that it's the second year of a two-year session because now the House is up for re-election. They've got um, opening for filing in March. Um, the Senate is not up until another two years. They're every four. House is every two. We've also got constitutional officers up for re-election. Um, we've got... So the House and Senate plans for redistricting themselves were um, adopted by both chambers and signed by the governor, but they still have to complete a congressional redistricting plan. That'll be done when they come back in January, ARP money. We've got the the politics of reelections and elections coming in. The House will run from their new districts. So I believe that puts eight districts, mm-hmm. maybe around eight. Am I, is I that believe right? that's right. Yeah. Um, that puts eight districts with incumbents running against each other, whether they decide to do that or not. Um, not to mention, and Scott, I want you to touch on this a little bit, the politics of the vaccine and mask mandates. We saw that a little mm-hmm. bit, let's see, a couple weeks ago um, in the House. But that is a bill that the House passed, and now it's sitting in the Senate. Yeah, so House Bill 3126 was, when it was filed, was a bill that would have prohibited state and local governments from um, enforcing a federal vaccine mandate if if one survived a court challenge, which has not yet. That bill was amended in subcommittee, a hastily called subcommittee, uh, Ways and Means Subcommittee. It was amended with a strike and insert amendment, which means it was completely replaced. The original language is gone, and it was replaced by new language that prohibited local governments and the state and private businesses from uh, enforcing or having a vaccine mandate for their employees. Um, as you might imagine, it that bill in particular got a lot of pushback from private businesses and we were we were along with our private business partners across the state uh, shut out of any opportunity to or any opportunity to speak on the the amendment that was introduced in the subcommittee after public testimony was closed and so we lodged our complaints with individual House members and with the House Ways and Means staff, uh, and many of you, uh, council members and mayors across the state, did the same thing. The bill ultimately passed 
um, in the House, uh, out of the House, and is now in the Senate. And it was watered down just a little bit uh, to allow private employers to mandate a vaccine, but if they fire an employee as a result of noncompliance, then that employee can uh, apply for unemployment benefits, which, of course, will, you know, the cost is going to be borne by those private businesses. Local governments still uh, are barred in that amended bill from uh, having a vaccine mandate. Now, it just passed the House. It was a House bill. And so there will be pressure on in the Senate to take that bill up uh, and get it passed as soon as they can get it done if they if they choose to in January. Ironically, the Senate has already passed an anti-vaccine mandate bill, uh, Senate Bill 177 for, by uh, Senator Tom Corbin from Northern Greenville County. And that was the bill that advocates really wanted the House to take up, but the House didn't do that. And obviously, I, you know, I would speculate that that was a strategic move. But but that that's not the end of the discussion. That's not the end of the fight. There will be an effort to take up 177 in the House. I'm sure there will be efforts in uh, the Senate to take up House Bill 3126. And those fights will continue and, and take up a lot of floor time. Yeah, this is not and the last we've heard of no. vaccine and mask mandates. And that bill, 3126 and 177, deal just with, I don't know Vaccines. about 177, but... 3126 only deals with vaccine mandates. It's an anti-vaccine mandate bill. has nothing to do with masks. Right. Now, we polled cities and towns a couple of weeks ago to inquire who all still may have a mask mandate in place. There are very, very few across the state. And the only really, if there are any mandates in place, then they are applicable only to uh, government-owned, municipally-owned buildings and properties. Uh, they're not widespread on private businesses. So, um, you know, but cities and towns need to retain the authority to enact a mask mandate in the future if conditions on the ground warrant it and, uh, and their residents are asking for it. So we'll continue to uh, be vigilant and push back against these preemptive measures that come up in the House and the Senate. But vaccine and COVID is, uh, so long as COVID is around and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime right. fast. Uh, we're going to continue to have these fights in the General Assembly. Scott, what other um, what other bills are we watching very closely uh, alongside the budget, law enforcement yeah. reform? What what other bills are we watching pretty closely coming up here? So I think a couple of things that were that are that are ripe for action uh, is House Bill thirty nine thirty nine. This is a bill that has passed the House and is in the Senate, and what it would do is allow first responders to uh, make a workers' comp claim based on a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, we work very hard in the House and the Senate because there, there there's a House and a Senate bill that covers the same, the same subject. We work very hard to get both of those bills amended to make specific diagnoses uh, required before you can make that claim and specific scenarios or situations that a first responder would find himself or herself in in order to qualify to be able to uh, to make a worker's comp claim based on PTSD. 
Well, and Scott, we were also successful in excluding EMS in this language um, because there was yep. talk in both the House and the Senate to include EMS as part of the first responder definition, um, but that would just have cost the state yeah. and, and us so much money. Yeah, it applies to firefighters and police officers in particular. But along with that, we also implored the General Assembly to fully fund uh, PTSD treatment services through the LEAP program and through the FAST program, that's Law Enforcement Assistance Program and the Firefighters Assistance Program. These are PTSD treatment services that are available now to all first responders, including EMS, uh, so that if they need counseling, if they need treatment services for PTSD-like conditions, then they can go to these two programs and get these services for free, which we hope would uh, get them better first of all, and then, uh, you know, mitigate the need to have to file a workers' comp claim. We want these folks to get better and stay on the job rather than have to make a workers' comp claim and go into that system and then and then not be, not be able to continue working. So that was fully funded with recurring money, $500,000, uh, $250,000 for each of those two programs. And I'll tell you, the, the police officers, the LEAP program, the Law Enforcement Assistance Program, is underutilized. The firefighters are doing a pretty good job of using those treatment services, but law enforcement, for whatever reasons, are not doing that. And we would encourage you, council members and mayors who might be listening, uh, to encourage your law enforcement officers, poli your police chiefs, to uh, recommend these services and get your get your law enforcement officers into them as soon as they can if if they experience uh, if they experience a problem. So we'll be uh, we'll be pushing that bill. Uh, we'll, well, we won't be pushing that bill, but we'll be keeping an eye on it and continuing to uh, continuing to um, influence it to the to the to the betterment of law enforcement officers and cities and towns as employers. Uh, we're going to support the county association's effort to fix the road fee issue. Uh, if you'll recall, the South Carolina Supreme Court ruled that. Uh, Greenville County's road maintenance fee was unconstitutional, uh, particularly the increases in that fee that were uh, implemented since 1997. Uh, the South Carolina Association of Counties is going to find a try and find a legislative fix to that to allow counties to continue forward those maintenance fees in cities as well. Aiken, the city of Aiken and the, the town of Hilton Head Island both had those on their books as well. And so we uh, will be supportive of that. Uh, we're working with the state auditor's office to come up with a less than audit uh, solution for smaller cities and towns. Uh, the cost of a full-blown gap audit exceeds the amount of money that they might receive from the local government fund uh, because if you don't do your audit, then the state treasurer withholds your local government funds and some other state funds as well, state collected funds like uh, local option sales tax. Uh, but the cost of that full-blown gap audit exceeds the amount that you would get from the local government fund. So uh, some cities and towns, particularly smaller ones, just don't do it. Uh, but we're working with the auditor to try and come up with a less-than solution that will be more affordable and provide some accountability uh, to the public going forward. We talked about ARP funding. Uh, of course, Erica has been working really hard and, and covering the, our ARP issues very closely for us. One of the things that we've done as an association when we're talking about how the state is going to spend its allocation of ARP funds is encouraging the General Assembly to uh, target infrastructure, particularly water, sewer, and stormwater 
target those three things if they're going to spend money uh, on fr- from their state AR- state ARP allocation um, to leverage their dollars against the local dollars that cities and towns have across the state. There, there's been some discussion uh, among most of the water providers across the state that uh, that money should be only spent with them or split amongst them. Uh, but we've spoken to the governor's office. We've had several meetings with the governor and his staff. We've had a meeting with the chairman of uh, uh, the uh, local government subcommittee in uh, House Ways and Means, uh, Bruce Bannister from Greenville. And they all agree that uh, water is just one component of what we would hope will be a $500 million uh, spend out of the state's funds for infrastructure. So we'll continue to push that and then also push... Uh, the state to spend its monies in local communities in the best way going forward. Um, we haven't really gotten into the the Savannah Riverside settlement money. We we're leaving that obviously to the local communities that are affected by that. But we agree with the governor's recommendation that uh, the communities that have been most affected by those should get the largesse of that. Five, how much was it? Five hundred. Uh, yeah, a lot. a lot. It was a, it was a bunch of money. Four hundred seventy-five million, I believe, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit more. So, those are those are all things that we'll be keeping an eye on in the context of primaries. Can I can I go back to one thing? Else. The sure. ARP, the state ARP money. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the court decision? I think it was a federal district court about using the ARP money for tax. Relief? Tax relief, yeah. Right. You want to Will talk that about that, have any Erica? Impact on this infrastructure money that we everybody's kind of planning on spending that way. Well, so there was a there was a circuit court, federal circuit court ruling in Alabama a while back that said that um, ARP's prohibition on the on reducing taxes mm-hmm. right. uh, with ARP That's funds right. uh, was. Not allowed. Not allowed. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you can't, the, the, the circuit court said, yes, you can use these funds to reduce taxes. Now, the ruling only applied to states. That's right. Uh, however, um, as we have always done. Not we, the local money. Yes, but, okay. but it, certainly a case could be made that you might be able to use local ARP funds to reduce taxes, but that is not something that we as the Municipal Association right. recommend you, you even contemplate okay. because it's one-time money, right. and if you're cutting taxes or your fee structure on one-time money, mm-hmm. you will eventually end up in a hole without that recurring revenue. That's right. And and they bring the legislative piece of this, the prohibition on offsetting or reducing taxes is only found in Section 602 of the legislation, of the American Rescue Plan legislation. That only applies to states. Okay. And that's backed up in the interim final rule. So states and territories are mm-hmm. not allowed to do that. But like Scott said, even though... Local governments are not prohibited from doing that. We certainly don't encourage it. Yeah, that that is the last thing that we would suggest you do with those with those funds. I feel like that'll have an impact. You know, if if the state goes in that direction with the state money, I feel like that would have an impact on the infrastructure. I, you Funneling know, money, but I mean, you know, so that all, many billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I, you know, the conversations that we've had with the governor's office and with a good number of legislators is they all see this as a as money that is 
an opportunity to be transformative across our state, particularly in the rural areas. And so uh, I don't, I've not heard anybody at any level of government contemplating cutting taxes or fees with this well, money. We also all know um, Senator Bennett, um, Sean Bennett, he introduced a bill in the Senate that is a complete yeah. tax reform package. Yeah. It's huge. It deals with Act 388. Yeah. We know there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of things that go along with that. It's not just one thing, but we also know that cutting taxes and anything to do with taxes needs to be in a complete reform package and not just a piecemeal approach. And we have preached that for at least 10 years. How much new money are we getting next year, Joni? Say that again. Uh, we In recurring dollars, we are getting $897 million. In non-recurring, we are getting $2.1 billion. So this year's budget was $32.3 billion. So you're adding essentially $3 billion more. So we're looking at $35 billion. Well, almost a billion in recurring money in the middle of a pandemic, mm-hmm. um, that's growth. Oh, That's yeah. new money. That is additional funds from to what we have in the budget currently, which is was the biggest state budget in history. Yeah. Would suggest to me that perhaps there our taxing system is just is Wonder just right. right where it ought to yeah. be. Wouldn't you think? But that's just my opinion. Um, so Scott, talk about um trees. Tree ordinance bill, uh, yeah, so House Bill 3989, this is a bill that was filed by Representative Jeff Johnson from Conway in reaction to a local dust-up over the cutting of trees in violation of Conway's tree ordinance, and so uh, he filed a bill that would prohibit cities and towns from regulating uh, the cutting of trees in their jurisdictions Uh, in every zoning district except for a residential zoning district so that people could come in and clear-cut a piece of property and not have to replant trees or uh, pay into a tree fund. It would essentially destroy any uh, Tree City USA designation or a renewal of it going forward across our state. Um, I know that the city of Conway that council has been contemplating some uh, solutions to that local problem, but uh, if you're, we're, we're hopeful that this bill won't get moving. But it is on a House Judiciary full committee agenda, mm-hmm. uh, and will be eligible for uh, pushing out onto the floor when we start in January. So if you want to preserve your local tree ordinances, you need to uh, let your House member uh, know to vote against that bill if they get the opportunity. Any other bills that you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Well, I will. I will talk about an effort that we're making right now. It's okay. not in the in the form of a bill yet, but um, we have been working with our uh, tourism, hotel, restaurant partners okay. to help solve a problem that anybody who collects local or state accommodations taxes. Uh, is experiencing. If you are receiving state accommodations tax funds from the South Carolina Department of Revenue, you're generally just getting a check with no sort of reconciliation or details with that. You just have to trust that they're collecting what they're supposed to. And then local accommodations taxes are difficult to collect, particularly from um, short-term rental operators because 
they may not know that they're required to collect local accommodations taxes. Maybe they're sending it to the Department of Revenue and, and, and don't know that they're not supposed to do that. So we're working with our hotel and restaurant partners to find some solutions to the, the dearth of uh, reporting that comes from the Department of Revenue. And then we also are going to try and seek address data from short-term rental companies like Airbnb, VRBO, so that you can go out and enforce your local accommodations tax ordinance. Because right now you don't know where those locations are, those people who are operating, unless they're complying voluntarily. And there may be some that aren't. And so they're evading that uh, regulatory uh, ordinance that you have on the books, and they're not—they're uh, not operating lawfully, just like uh, like their their uh, hotel, the permanent hotel locations are. So, going to work to see if we can come up with some solutions to those problems. Don't don't expect anything in this next session, but uh, just know that that's something that we're working on, and we'll need your help uh, with your legislators to get interested in that as we go forward. So, to wrap up, it's going to be busy. Uh, There's a lot to do. There's a lot going on. There are a lot of debates. There's some disagreements Um, in some places. There's going to be some angst, I would say, with with the primary elections for the House in June, general in November. Um, There is a, there was a leadership change in the Senate with the death of longtime Senator and Finance Chairman Hugh Leatherman. Um, Now, Currently, Senator Harvey Peeler, who is the ranking majority party member of Senate Finance, he becomes the chairman. Um, in order to be the chairman of finance, he had to resign his position as president of the Senate, and the senators elected um, Tommy Alexander, Republican from Oconee County, as their current president. That also changed the chairman of the Labor, Commerce, and Industry Committee. That uh, the rank, the next ranking majority party member on that committee is Senator Tom Davis, a Republican from Beaufort. So a lot of changes. I think we're going to see some changes in the House as well. Um, they will consider legislation just as normal as will the Senate, but the budget will start, Joni, in the House. Yes. So they're going to have to, they're going to be producing the budget bill and I would assume the ARP bill mm-hmm. as well. Um, and as soon as any of that comes up, especially we've had a lot of questions about, is there an ARP bill? Can we see it? Has it been introduced yet? And that answer is? The answer is no. Okay. So as soon as that is up, we'll have it out for you in Dome. We'll talk about it on the podcast. Erica is going to go through it with Joni and pick out every part of it and make sure we get all that information to you. Parting words, anybody? Well, you know, don't get frustrated if other things besides these financial issues don't get advanced. Uh, That's not a bad thing, Mm -hmm. particularly on these defensive issues. Uh, Hopefully they'll get uh, overwhelmed by all of the other more important work that needs to be done coming up. But by the same token, if there are things that you wanted to push forward on an offensive basis, then that's going to be difficult as well. Uh, Everybody's, we got to get these important issues done. Yeah, there's some pretty big ones that Um, are going to take up a lot of floor time, a lot of committee time. Yeah, yeah. So. I'll just throw this out there by way of parting words. Okay. I know Joni talked about all of the money coming into our state, 2.5 and ARP. There's still the SRS settlement money. There is also the bipartisan infrastructure deal yeah. that oh we gosh. have been tracking. Um, and off the top of my head, the state of South Carolina is getting at least $100 million for broadband. 
$75 million to establish an electric vehicle charging station along our interstates. There's money. There's $550 million coming for water. Yep. And so recall back when the American Rescue Plan was signed into law, we had to wait about 60 days to get this word starts to make me cringe, but guidance right. on how to spend it. <laughs> You're having PTSD. I, when I hear guidance, I like <laughs> twitch just a little bit. Well, we were told on all of our, our briefing calls to expect guidebooks on how to implement books. the bipartisan infrastructure deal because it touches so many different federal agencies. And so as a result, it will touch many of our state agencies as well. So we're watching, we're already actively engaged in the bipartisan infrastructure deal. We have a overview on our website on the money that's estimated to come into the state of South Carolina. But uh, the broadband, for example, just to throw that out, at least 100 million is going to every state. 100 million is going to every That's state. Huge. More if you can show a need for more. Mm -hmm. And I know that our uh, broadband we office can. is doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we can, ex yeah, we can. express that need. But um, they've already stood up a broadband deployment task force and offered a seat to the municipal association. Oh, so we have good. occupied that seat with Eric Buds from our team. So in addition to everything you just heard, more money is coming into the state mm -hmm. um, next year for infrastructure. So we'll be tracking that and Casey I just want to say you know now's your time guys if you want to contact your senator contact right. your house member if there is a project that they've always told you well when I get the funds hey they have the funds call right. them yeah and if you if you haven't called them yet you're you may be already too late so go mm -hmm. ahead and get on the call call them ask for the funds go big you know they've got the money ask for it and if you don't know them Please introduce yourself before you ask for the money. Yes. Absolutely. Call like today and say, hey, my name is, and then maybe wait a couple days and then ask for a little bit of cash. Yeah. And, and you know, we've already heard from particularly these uh, new mayors and council members that right. have been elected in the last uh, 10, 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, we've already heard from several who were elected this past November that are reaching out to their senators and house members. And that's a great thing. Uh, it's, it's really, Absolutely. really good and would encourage everybody to, to do that. Absolutely. I'm going to give everybody the same advice that I give every time I sign off of this podcast. But first I'm going to tell you, have a wonderful holiday season, whatever holiday you celebrate. I hope it is wonderful and happy and full of wonderful things for you in order to have a happy and healthy and family and friend filled holiday season. Please wear your mask in public places or inside buildings where it's crowded. Wash your hands. Uh, get vaccinated if you can. Get your booster if you can. Um, and take care of yourself and those around you. Take care and have a wonderful holiday. The City Quick Connect podcast is one of several ways the Municipal Association keeps you informed of the opportunities and issues impacting South Carolina cities and towns. Learn more at www.masc.sc and stay up to date with the association's latest happenings on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.